Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Good morning. This is Attorney Vince Davis, and this show is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, everyone. Um, I have been asked to speak briefly about a topic um, that everyone who has a juvenile dependency case will probably come across, and that is the infamous six-month review hearing. Um, There are statutes in the Welfare and Institutions Code which govern these six-month hearings, and it is incumbent on each of you to read that statute uh, before the hearing. You need to read it, you need to go over it with your attorneys, and you need to have a plan of strategy. So I have five top things that I like to do when approaching a six-month review hearing. Number one, you have to meet with your attorney. The attorney has to meet with the client. You have to come up with a plan for the six-month review hearing. Um, Strategy is very important in uh, juvenile dependency cases. And if your attorney can come up with a strategy to reunite, reunite you with your child, you should be talking to that person. The second thing that you need to do is you need to make sure that you get the report on time. You can discuss this with your attorney. The law requires the six-month review report to be mailed to you and to your attorney several days before the hearing. I would have to say in 95% of the cases, maybe more, that's never done. And you need to make sure that you get the hearing, you get the report before the hearing. And if not, and if you need more time, you need to tell the, your attorney and the judge that you need a continuance because the report wasn't served on time. Now, this is what I find happening in a lot of courtrooms, especially in Los Angeles County. What is happening is that the judge is ordering the report a few days before the hearing, and At the hearing, you have to decide whether you're going to agree with the social worker or not agree. And in some courtrooms, the judge is requiring you and your attorney to go to a contested hearing or trial on that very day. Now, that's not not what the law says. So you want to make sure that you get your report before the hearing so that you can read, understand, and strategize. It may be important for you to subpoena in your service providers, your parenting instructor, your counselor, your drug um, counselor, your place where you were doing your drug testing, that type of thing, your domestic violence counselor, to these hearings or the contested hearings so that they can testify on your behalf. The one thing that I want to inform you is and remind you, social workers generally are not licensed professionals. 
In other words, they can't give medical or psychological advice or opinions. So I give you an example that happened recently in a case. A social worker wrote in a report, I believe the mother needs more counseling before uh, the children are returned. Now, if you don't have a contest or a trial to challenge that opinion, the court will usually take that opinion as gospel. So you put the social worker on the stand and you say, ma'am, do you have any licenses in the state of California other than your driver's license? Generally, the answer is no. So you follow up. You're not a psychiatrist. No. You're not a licensed psychologist. No. You're not a licensed marriage and family therapist. No, I'm not. Well, how can you make the opinion that the social uh, that the mother needs more counseling can't do it. There's something in the California Evidence Code that anything anybody says or does has to have foundation. So the objection objection that I usually give is objection no foundation. In other words, you can't social worker you can't give me an expert opinion like that because it's basically calling for a psychological or medical um, opinion which you have no. Um, expertise to give. It'd be like me asking the social worker, hey, do you think I need to have open heart surgery? Well, the social worker can't testify to that. She's not a medical doctor. And in my opinion, social workers can't testify to things like you need more counseling. It's just not within their expertise. A lot of social workers feel that they can give that uh, information and um, they're incorrect. I witnessed part of a trial down in Los Angeles Superior Court um, several months ago, and it was a case where um, a woman named Lena Duval was suing uh, the social workers for taking her child uh, and violating her constitutional rights. And she had an excellent group of attorneys uh, led by uh, Sean McMillan and Daniel Ambrose. And one of the things that happened in her case was that the social worker was opining or giving an opinion during the juvenile case that Ms. Duval suffered from Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Now, for those of you that don't know, that's a very sophisticated and complicated di mental health diagnosis. And um, I know some people tell me that uh, it's not in the 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 list of of uh, mental disorders anymore or it is on the list of mental disorders but the real the real thing is a social worker who has no training in psychology or psychiatry and doesn't hold a license can't tell a juvenile judge hey this mother suffers from munchausen syndrome by proxy there's no foundation to do it so that's the second thing that you should do third thing that you should do is make sure that all of your witnesses and your service providers are subpoenaed, that you and your attorney review any re, um, reports that, that they have prepared and perhaps given to the social worker, and also interview these um, service providers before you put them on the stand. Um, I saw a case a couple of months ago, I wasn't on the case, but I was sitting in the courtroom, where <clears throat> They had uh, subpoenaed the mother's therapist to testify. Mother's therapist got on the stand and basically said, mother shouldn't have the kids return to her. Uh, that was devastating to the mother's case, needless to say. 
and perhaps um, you know uh, I don't know what the strategy was but perhaps you know the mother and her attorney shouldn't have put that on the stand or called that witness to the stand uh, of course you know there are always strategies in legal cases that you don't know about um, until and unless you're absolutely you know uh, involved in the case uh, the next thing and the last thing that you should do is you should talk to your attorney about filing, preparing and filing a trial brief. A trial brief is like a road map that you give to the judge and to the other attorneys that explains your position and explains your position in legal terms. And that, in my opinion, can keep, not always, but can keep the judge on track, you know, maybe deciding a case in your way. There are many, many appellate cases uh, that have been published uh, by courts in California that actually, you know, help form the basis of the law in California. And sometimes judges aren't familiar with all of the cases. Maybe they had, re uh, you know, read it and forgot about it. I myself, um, you know, read cases all the time, and I don't remember all of them until I do legal research and, and preparing a document for court, like a trial brief. So it's always, you know, the trial brief doesn't have to be a law review article of 100 pages, but maybe anywhere from 5 to 10 pages as a roadmap uh, that will keep the judge on track and keep you and your lawyer on track as to what you want to prove uh, at the time of the six-month review trial. In many cases, I, I, I watch and I see while sitting in court um, it seems to me that uh, sometimes cases go off into left field or into right field, and they're not staying focused, you know, on home plate and what the real issues are. It's easy to get distracted and and carry carry the case into left field if you're not paying attention, and a trial brief helps you keep that on, uh, you know, keep you on track. So those are the five things that I would suggest um, in preparing for a six-month review hearing, either the six- or the 12-month review hearing. But I want to give everyone a warning, and I think I talked, this, talked about this last week. If at any hearing, the dispositional hearing, the six-month review hearing, the 12-month review hearing, the 18-month review hearing, any hearing the judge says that your family reunification services are terminated, you must file a notice of intent to file a writ. Now you can Google that, it'll bring up the form, you only have a few days to file it, so make sure that it's completely filled out and that you or your lawyer files that. You cannot file a notice of appeal from an order terminating your family reunification services. Let me repeat that. You cannot file a notice of appeal when the judge has ordered your family reunification services terminated or not to not give you family reunification services. If you file a notice of appeal, it will be dismissed and you will lose your chance to um, ask an appellate court to review uh, what the judge has done in your case. Right now, I'm going to take our first call. It's from area code 562, ending in 48. Good morning, Good morning. Attorney Davis. Did you have a question to ask or a story to tell? 
Well, I have a question. You know, I know there's a lawyer confidentiality clause. Um, a friend of mine has a case, and I wanted to confirm some things. But I was told that I can't, me personally, I can't look at the files or the paperwork to uh, kind of go over some things. So, you know, have confirmation for myself. Uh, what is your opinion on that? Okay, um, that's a very good question and sometimes it leads to a lot of problems. Um, just generally, a lawyer has the duty of confidentiality between him or her and the client. It's even heightened in juvenile dependency cases because of um, a section in the Welfare and Institutions Code, 827. Um, you cannot disclose juvenile dependency records and documents without a court order from the juvenile dependency presiding judge in your county uh, to anyone else not involved in the case. So here are the people that are involved in the case, the social worker and the social worker's attorneys, the father and the father's attorney, the mother and the mother's attorney, the children and their attorneys. Anyone else you can't disclose the information to. And and there's one other group of people that are entitled to the information, and that is the uh, guardian ad litems, if there are any guardian ad litems appointed. They call them GALs. Now, what happens in cases a lot of times uh, is this confidentiality rule is used by the client to mask you know, what may be happening in the case, and of course the attorney cannot discuss it. So let me give you an example. Actually, I'll give you a couple of examples because I think these two examples will explain a lot of things to a lot of people listening. Um, several years ago, um, a woman who I did not know, but who was very active in social media, um, had a very bad experience in a juvenile dependency case in another county. And um, she was not able to hire our firm, um, apparently, uh, to help her because of cost. I never spoken to her, and uh, we ended up not taking her case, and we didn't represent her. And unfortunately, she lost her grandkids to the system, and I believe that they were adopted by um, other people. As time went on, she uh, recommended a family to me to represent them in a juvenile dependency case. Now, the family and the parent had talked to this person and told them their version of the case, which, of course, supported the family and this parent getting the children back. She referred them to me. I took on the case, they paid me, and when I got on the case, I realized that what they had told me was not true. Well, let me rephrase that. They didn't tell me the whole story. And there were significant problems regarding um, drug issues with parent and the grandfather who wanted the kids. And that was the reason why the social worker and the judge wasn't returning the kids, which, by the way, is a legitimate reason in a juvenile dependency case. Well, 
when the drug issues uh, weren't resolved by the family, um, they blamed me for not getting the child or children back. Now, I tell a lot of people, look, I'm a lawyer. And I'm a pretty good lawyer, but I'm not a magician. I can't make things go away. I can't change facts. I can't change the fact that you won't test clean or can't test clean. It's just something I can't do. So they, of course, blame me. And, of course, they never told the person who referred them to me the entire story. And guess what? I couldn't tell that person the entire story because it was confidential. So to this day, that person uh, speaks Ill ill of me because she believes it was my fault that we didn't get the kids back to the family. She has no idea that the reason why the children weren't returned to the family were because of drug issues at the, you know, for a parent and one of the grandparents. There is another issue of confidentiality, and this example is not in a juvenile dependency case. But I give it to you because it, it shows you how a lawyer must keep their mouth closed. I represented a, a, a guy came to me, uh, a gentleman came to me to see me with his four, three, four adult children, and he had been accused of sexual abuse. And the day that I met him, of course, he and all of the adult children, saying, you know, that these allegations were false. Uh, that it was a setup by someone else, and, you know, on and on. So we took on the case, and, of course, we're there to fight and to try to get these sexual abuse allegations thrown out. Well, as the case progressed, more and more evidence came out against this client. And finally, the client confessed to me that, you know, there may have been some truth in these allegations. And the client directed me to uh, work out the best deal possible, which I did. The problem was the client told me not to mention this to anyone in his family. Now, this was years ago. To this day, his adult children and the rest of his extended family believe that I sold him down the river. But I can't breach the cli- I can't breach the client's confidentiality. So, when you say, "Are these things confidential?" Yes, they're confidential in many ways that a lot of people don't think about or don't know about. But you know, I I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does. Uh, <clears throat> kind of. Uh reaches a point where if you're not sure if the person's telling you the truth or like what you said, which is a sad situation, they don't tell you the full story, you're going by what they're telling you. And that's what you go by. You know, you think they're being honest, but you find out after you get into it, it's just a big, big mess. And uh, that doesn't make sense. And I understand your part of it as far as the confidentiality, it's client's lawyer privilege not to go outside because that could cause problems but they're like i was saying my friend i wanted to find out you know if they're telling the truth or if there's more to the story so 
there's really not a whole lot that you can do at this point, you know. So that that answers my question pretty much. Um, I I just had another question real quick. You probably would advise this. I'm just curious. Can a judge be dismissed from a case? Yes, a judge can be dismissed from a case for perceived or later for actual prejudice. Anytime a case is assigned to a judge, any participant or party in the case can file what's called a 170.6 to just disqualify the judge. It's a one-page form. Um, we do it in my office, you know, I wouldn't say regularly, but often when we get a case assigned to a judge who we don't think that there's a good fit. You know, judges are people, and some judges have what I perceive to be, you know, some biases and prejudices, like, you know, all people do. You know, all of us have some some bias or prejudice. So um, later, if you miss the 10-day deadline to do that, um, if you notice or believe you have evidence of some actual bias or prejudice, or you learn of something, you can make a motion pursuant to CCP, California Code of Civil Procedure, Section 170.1, and you can make a motion. Now, the interesting thing about this motion is I see it filed, not often, but I see it filed sometimes in juvenile dependency courts around Southern California. And... Um, uh, I have a colleague who doesn't work with for me, but we worked on cases, you know, against each other and with each other. He has a standard uh, 170.1 motion that he files a lot against judges. And when they're filed, here's the thing: they are supposed to be decided by a judge outside the county. So, for example, if you filed a 170.1 motion against a judge in L.A. County in juvenile dependency court, it's supposed to be sent outside the county. Now, I've heard and I have seen some cases um, that the motion is decided by the judge itself who you were claiming to be prejudiced. I've heard or seen it be decided by another judge in the building. I've heard or seen it be decided by another judge, you know, in downtown Los Angeles. All of those are improper. The statute is very clear. Sometimes I get the impression that um, judges don't want to send the motion out of county. And I've actually, I think on a case or two, I've been asked would I agree that a judge in the building or in the county could agree to do or to hear this motion. And um, I don't recall what I did, but I, I, would, I, I would assume or that I would have said no. Um, in well, most cases, I, you know, I just want the statute to be followed. There are reasons why the legislature gave us that law, and so I ask for the um, motion to be sent out of county. But realize when it's sent out of county, you and your attorney and all the attorneys have to go down to the other county's uh, courtroom and, and, you know, hear the case. So in cases that I've been involved with, 170 or, or know of, 170.1 motions are sent from L.A. to Riverside, Orange County, you know, San Bernardino County. But I would suggest that the listeners, um, unless they speak with their attorney and their attorney tells them something different, don't agree to have the motion heard within your county. There are reasons why the law says the motion should be heard outside of the county. I hope that answers your question, sir. 
It does. And again, real quick, I just want to say that I had a friend that had a case going and the child was detained. And so the family came forward and did the life scan and uh, was trying to get the child placed with the sister and the brother-in-law. However, the brother-in-law had a DUI like 10 years prior. They have grandkids and kids around them all times, you know, real family orientated. And again, this was 10 years prior to this happening. <clears throat> and a commissioner, which wasn't quite a judge, had denied them to, uh, you know, have a child in their house because the brother-in-law had a DUI 10 years prior. So I did some research myself to find out that the commissioner had a DUI and the commissioner was denied judgeship because her prior DUI. And that seems kind of odd to me that she was, you know, against these people. They're good people. People make mistakes, you know, and if it had just happened, I could understand, Hey, you just, this just happened six months ago or whatever, but it was 10 years prior to the, to the uh, whole situation with the courts. So, um, that I was thinking at that point, you dismiss this person and get somebody else or, and this is a long time ago. This isn't going on right now. The whole case was closed, but I was just curious about that. You know, that, uh, you know, you find out the judge is denying the guardianship with the, uh, the family, but yet she <laughs> did the same thing that, uh, the other person was accused of and the reason why she wouldn't, you know, let that person have the child. So what is your opinion about that? My opinion is, is that the law often does not equal common sense. And um, if that were the case and the people knew about the commissioner's DUI, they might have been able to make a motion to uh, ask the commissioner to get off the case. Um, you know, and it would be up to the up to the judge who uh, ruled on the motion. You probably have to have some additional facts about bias or prejudice, but you know, often the law is not does not equate to an individual's common sense because all of us have different um, values, different upbringings, different experience, different training, and everyone's sense of justice is different. That's one of the big problems with. Uh, you know, in representing people, people have their own sense of justice, and it's usually based upon what they uh, what they believe, what they've experienced, and what other people have told them. The problem is, it's not courtroom justice, which is based upon written laws, you know, written appellate cases and court rules. And unless that person's an attorney, their sense of justice isn't going to be the same as courtroom justice. And they think by hiring an attorney, that attorney will come in and get what's their sense of justice instead of what the law actually says. And sometimes that's what causes conflict between attorneys and clients because uh, the client is expecting something totally different than what the law actually supports. I hope that answers your question. That does, and I just want to say thank you, and thank you for your team uh, to help uh, get my family back together. My case is closed and I just want to say to the listeners out there 
if you have a case going on, you're fighting against giants, and you need a giant to step in there with the experience in that in that whole ball court right there. You don't want to have McDonald's represent you, so you, you need professionals. And uh, I want to thank you, Mr. Davis, for your help, and have a great day. You've uh, answered all my questions that I was curious about. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Okay, we are backing up on the call log here. So let's take another call. Uh, area code 323, ending in 82. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, I have a question to ask. Certainly. So what do you do when... Um what do you do when um, LAPD is involved in your DCFS case and they start making up um, police reports like, um, for instance, like mother and father were found with slamming speedballs in the, in the house and um, when that's totally not true. <laughs> And then they go to their friend's house and tell tell their friends that mother and father were found with speedballs and like syringes all over the house. Um, complete lie. Like, and there's nothing in evidence to prove it. So, what do you do when that's the situation? Mm-hmm. Well, you do you do have remedies for when a governmental actor, such as a police officer, files false reports. And it's called you can okay. sue them for violation of your civil rights. Okay, so and then also when they like storm into your house and do it an illegal search and seizure and then they make up all this stuff. And then mom, myself, of course I'm calling for myself, um, does everything that the court requires but still you can't get your kid back. <laughs> <laughs> So I and mom has no history of drugs or anything, but uh, for instance, like uh, because she's associated with maybe. I, in any case, what I'm trying to ask is, how can you go up against these people when they're lying and they have no evidence to prove it? You have to fight them. Okay, so can and you help me with lying. that? <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's like something the latest... called... Uh... Go ahead. Sorry. The latest police report says mother and father were found in mother's apartment with syringes in their um, uh, veins or whatever, and uh, syringes all over the countertop. And then, um, okay, so that's the LAPD situation. But then... Um, that actually gets submitted to DCFS and gets sent to the judge. So, okay, it looks like mom's shooting up speedballs. So then, of course, I I wouldn't give a kid back if a mom was doing that, but that's, like, totally not true. And mom has all negative drug tests. Like, I've done everything, hoops and loops and everything, and still, like, oh, okay. Um, Because the LAPD says that you're doing this, um... It's true, of course, because hearsay evidence it just like works there. I mean, I this is a very sensitive subject, and it's just like I just feel like I'm bombarded by LAPD, 
and it's totally not true. So how do you do that? How do you get out of that? Okay, so what what you should do is you should file an official complaint against the officers who wrote the false report, and you should speak to a lawyer about suing them under federal civil rights laws. There's a one specific law, okay. um, violation of your due process rights, which is 42 United States Code 1983. Right. right. And you can so, Google that. And you should, I uh, have been Googling, and I've been researching, and I even wrote my appeal, but I didn't – the only pro- problem with my appeal was um, – I don't know the exact structure of how that's what you've – you hire a lawyer for or whatever. So I filed this like, or I haven't filed it, but I wrote this like 10 million page like appeal on all their like wrongdoings, all the lies and stuff like that, and had even credentials to back up everything that I had done, you know, like, but I just don't know how the format to pursue it. In any case, like the civil lawsuit against all this stuff is um, pending because I need to close my case but I can't close it because, um, I don't know, they just lie and, like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you're you're my lawyer, so I just need your, like, you know, I guess advice or help or something. I understand. I don't know. Do you have a pen and paper? Yes. Okay, I'm going to give you I mean, there's so many, like, phone numbers. Okay. Okay. Give you a telephone number. Um, you can call me uh, later on today or on Monday, and we can have. I know your number. So, but, <laughs> okay, but I want the number. I want to give the number to everyone out there. Oh, okay, I get it. I it's get it. What is it? Triple eight, triple eight, triple eight, six five eight two. So call me or text me later on today, and we'll talk more about this in detail. Okay, but um, yeah, is that is that good then? Because um, yeah, like I don't even know. It's like a standstill situation because I feel like I sleep with one eye open in California because like I feel like they can just like um say whatever and it's okay and I don't think that's cool. I mean, I'll just call you later. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your comment. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, we'll take another call right now from area code 909, ending in 5-6. Hey, it's me. Hey, good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Did you good have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, I guess a question to ask. Go ahead. Okay, Um, I have filed a writ of habeas corpus, and I have a hearing on the 27th. And I'm nervous. I just don't know. I, I filed 64 pages, and I included every incident of um, every lie that the social worker produced in the um, court records. Um, from the very beginning, there was 10 to 15 sheriff visits for welfare checks that were all unfounded. And then CPS came, and of course, one of the sheriffs to take custody of my children without a warrant. And then they put 
custody of my children into the hands of a known child abuser that that department arrested only 19 days prior for hitting one of my children. And um, I'm the only parent that's not neglectful. And I um, basically had just been thrown under the bus by this whole system, but I was found innocent and they still will not return my children. Um, we I just wanted you to tell me like more about the habeas corpus. Sorry. Kind of a delay in the. Were you found? Were you found innocent in the juvenile dependency court? No, I um I actually was arrested by um the sheriffs as well. Uh, um, three days later, after they took my children, I mean after they took my one son out of school and put him in the custody of someone else. Three days later, CPS um came to the hotel I was staying at. And they came in and they said they had a warrant and they were taking the children for emotional abuse. And the LAPD, because I'm from San Bernardino County, and I was in L.A. County and they came in there with the LAPD. And even the LAPD officer said, this is not child abuse and this is the saddest case I've ever seen. And um, I have seven children. And they're all well taken care of. Nobody's... um, no signs of uh, emaciated, no bruising, no, everybody's happy. And I kept asking the social services lady, why are you taking the kids? What is the charge? And she said, emotional abuse. And I go, this is emotional abuse. You're making them scream and cry. I go, and I looked at the sheriff and I said, you know, I'm going to calm the children down and I'm going to let this happen. But you see, this is disgusting. And so I calmed down that my oldest, um, he was nine, and I said, you have to be the, the man of the house, you know. We were forcing them into the cop car. It was the most horrific screams I've ever heard in my life. And then I had drove to a park to calm myself, to get on the phone and find out what was going on. And the next thing you know, I'm being surrounded by San Bernardino sheriffs with guns drawn, and they're telling me if I'm going to shoot up an elementary school. And I just saw in my head I was going to be shot by the police. So I just put my hands up and I said, I uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I, um, those are car keys on the floor. I have no weapon. And they asked me if I wanted to shoot myself. And I said, what is this all about? Hello? And then they just got quiet. Well, they picked me off the ground, and then they put me in handcuffs, and they asked me where my thirty eight um, gun was. And I, I let them know I didn't have that. I had a 9 millimeter in a safe in the back of my car. But it's registered to me, and I even have a concealed to carry. Well, they went to my car that was 500 feet away, and then came back out holding the gun by the barrel and then they put me in handcuffs and said I was being arrested for felony firearms possession under the influence. And I said, how is that? And they said, well, your eyes are red and you're acting erratic. And I said, I just told you CPS came and took my children from me. I've been crying and uh, I deny everything that you're saying. I'm not going to resist. So they even searched me and my these are all males. And then the whole way to jail, they were trying to force me into 
um, a confession, and they were stating that they were just trying to help me out because I was looking at a six-year prison term. And I said, well, that would be if it stuck. I'm, uh, you guys are crazy. I'm a nurse in California, and I have no criminal record, no drug record, and this is going to be a nasty case. So I get to jail. They draw my blood, and then they office comes back later and tells me my Miranda rights and I had advised him that I have a hearing for the children you know in two days um and he says well you have to deal with the inside sheriffs with that so the hearing day came I was not taken to the hearing and um everything the social worker wrote in her fabricated report became fact when I did get out of jail I went to the courts and I found out that they put all seven of my children in seven different homes. And I couldn't believe that the orders that they were just calling out and making them fact. And I said, do I get to speak to the judge yet? And my public defender, who was incompetent, didn't say one word. And I kept telling her, can you object to that? Object to all of this? This is a lie. And then they just continued the um, JD hearings for... Uh, two months. My husband tried to claim his Indian status, and his tribe is just phony baloney. But I'm from the Hanson Sioux tribe, and I produce the documents too. They will not even look at them. So then the judge finally said, "Well, now, ma'am, you have a um, uh, there's question of your mental uh, faculties. <laughs> they state that you have an unknown mental condition." And I said, "Who says that?" And what authority do they have to state that? And then it's unknown because it doesn't exist. So I, I stupidly volunteered to take a uh, psyche valve, and now they're trying to say that I am post-traumatic stress syndrome and can't care for my children. So I I don't know what else to do. I, I found an attorney where, where for the false arrest, San Bernardino. And... What stage of the proceeding are you at? Well, I was already found innocent in everything. Um, I was dismissed under PC-1386 at OR. When I was OR'd from jail and then at pretrial, instantly the DA dismissed it. And then I even filed my own judicial motion to get my property back because they, they kicked me out of my house without a warrant. They My property's gone. They took my car, my gun, my purse, everything I've had was taken from me. And then so I fought it in court, and I won the judicial motion against the sheriffs, and the sheriffs won't honor it, a certified order. They won't take it. And so I finally got through to some um, a criminal defense attorney who has fought against San Bernardino sheriffs multiple times, and he took my case yesterday. So we're going for that, but he said he will not touch foot inside the juvenile dependency court. And he said to me that... Um, I should just accept everything that they want me to do and do it. He says I'm dancing in the devil's courtroom. I'm and not I sure. Said, I well, I filed advice. I kind of do because the judge would not even hear me say that what this social worker says is a lie, and here's the proof. I even videotaped the one of the visitations, and the the assistant of the social worker said that I assaulted her. And I said, you're a liar. I videotaped the whole visit. 
and there's not one mm-hmm. proof of whatever you're saying. They canceled my visitation, and since September, I've never been away from my children more than a day, and I have not seen my children since September 15th, and they were taken on the 28th of August. And I I also feel that I have educational I, rights, but I can't go to the schools. I can't find out anything of where they're at. And I've had 20 you have, social workers. Um, is there any way that you can call me later today? Yes. I um Yeah, I will for sure. But I have a question just about this habeas corpus. <laughs> I, okay. I hand wrote it go out. Ahead. And I, um, on every grounds, I, I filed 12 grounds of, you know, denied due process, cruel news and punishment, um, corpus delecti, uh, territory jurisdiction. Can I interrupt everything. you for a second? And I have proof. Yes. Can I interrupt you for a second? Yes. So I can't competently evaluate or give you any information on your habeas writ unless you email it to me for me to read. Okay. Uh, the question I just had about it was, when they ask you to go to the re- review hearing, is that just to go over the documents I <laughs> submitted, or am I supposed to file something else? That's all. I, the next step is kind of, I try to look it up, and I, I'm coming to a dead end. You may have to file something, but I need to see your brief yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. in order to tell you sure. that. Okay. Okay. Sure. Did you file it in state court or federal court? Uh, state court. Just in case it gets denied, I'll have the next Send, step. <laughs> email it to me, and then uh, I'll be happy to talk to you about it. Sure. Um, thank you for your call. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having mm-hmm. me. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, bye-bye. All right. The next question. Uh, the next call we're going to take is from area code 831, ending in 7-6. Good morning. Good morning. With Davis. Good morning. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? A report to make. Uh, Mr. Davis, this is Fox Sloan in uh, the People's Republic of Santa Cruz County. First of all, I want to thank you for all the wonderful work you and your team of attorneys are doing for a very good friend of mine. She's like a sister grandmother, um, not in this county, but in another county. But uh, I am so am pleased and empowered and happy to see how so many millions of people are coming together. And one of the strategies that I was told by a former government employee that um, – was had she worked with the um, Department of Health and Human Services. She wasn't in the department, but she worked alongside it as part of a county administration project process. Anyways, her advice to me, which is working out really well, is top down, top down, top down. And we are seeing when we file these grievances, requests for investigation, um, whatever paperwork we can come up with that that comes down on these judges, these um, so-called attorneys that function as county counsel, minor counsel, uh, parent counsel, the caseworkers themselves. It's coming to a point where these caseworkers, attorneys, and judges, they're going to have to pick a side, pick a team. 
because if they're not working with us and for us, they're working against us, and they're going to be defendants in multi-billion dollar lawsuits across the country. So the more, and I'm seeing this happen with other parents, alienated parents and grandparents, is that the more paperwork they file challenging the position and authority of these people, they got them running scared. And thank you for the filings that you have done made a huge difference in a hearing this last week. So that's my report and that's my thanks. Continued success in everything you're doing and prayers of love for all the families out there. I know this is like the worst time of the year to be separated from your families. The worst time. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. So everybody just hang in there. There's hope. We are, through the grace of God and the power of God, get our children and our families restored. So thank you, Mr. Davis. And again, thank you for doing the radio show. Great response. Thank you very much, Sloan, for the report. Please call in next week. Bye-bye. Yes. Okay, we have time probably for one more call. Area code 617, ending in 39. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Just listening to the show. I'm sorry, Jane. I said I was just listening to the show. Okay, thank you very much. Back on hold. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to take another call from area code 562, ending in 17. Good morning, Vincent. A little, bit of, a little bit more technical problems here, but um, I wanted to share a story and a question for you. Um, your show this morning has been very interesting, and of course, uh, you're uh, quite a... Um, quite a lawyer. I appreciate everything you're trying to do for us. Um, Make it simple here. Um, You know, I am a a family man, and unfortunately, through economic hardships, uh, uh, my uh, children were taken away, and uh, from that day one, it's been nothing but a downhill battle. All our, we never had our six months, never had our um, 12-month or 18-month hearing, and then we jumped into another hearing for adoption, and that finally, with your success, was able to uh, chase the person that was ill will towards our daughter. But now, our daughter now is in a more terrible situation because we have no idea who the foster cares are, and we're understanding mixed signals because we don't know um, whether uh, um, the uh, they're talking about medical rights, the educational rights. The other thing is that. Um, our case has been a very complex one. I think everybody has complex cases, but, uh, uh, you know, it's through everything we've done, everything we keep doing, they keep adding more and more and stalling. Now the latest stalling is that we have a precocious a small son who's been in the system now. We're going on a third year here, and uh, it seems like we're worse today than we were, you know, three years ago. But um, I'm still going to hang in there. Um, the latest thing is we're trying to do a family Thanksgiving that we've done for the last couple of years with this system where we go to a church that hosts 
uh, Thanksgiving, and we had the social worker last year um, be our monitor, and uh, this social worker uh, decided this year that she's now got family and she's going to take time off, which is understandable, but then um, we find out the bewitching hour, like they do with all these cases, they stall and they make up storytelling. That's one of the things that social service is really good at, is that when they're on a vendetta program, uh, they will make up everything they can to make you look bad and your family look, uh, look, look, look bad. So right now, uh, we won't be able to be with our son for Thanksgiving, which is going to be the first time in his 12 years of existence. And together, as my older son is beside himself because he left to go home with us because he turned 18, and uh, he wanted to get out of social service because we're ruining his, uh, his senior year in high school and uh, drive him nuts. And, but he feels bad because his little brother right now is being destroyed. Uh, just recently at a visitation, again, there was marks in the neck. We can't do anything or say anything. Um, this goes in one year, goes out the other year. We know he's being abused in the foster care. And the foster care are doing everything they can to drive our little boy from us. Um, our daughter right now is hopelessly lost. I know we have some goals ahead of us. But uh, this latest stall tactic, we're supposed to have a hearing in August, and then it got postponed October, and then it got postponed in November, and now it's December. It's the same thing with all the other hearings. They just The judge is definitely in cahoots because he runs the thing like he doesn't care. He says, oh, yes, we'll have a good hearing here in, in August. Um, I've made all my time set aside. Then we come, and it doesn't happen, and then it gets delayed, delayed, delayed. And so um, it's like it's, it's the heartache that... My wife has gone through where she is being destroyed, I'm being destroyed, and all I see is social services takes a beautiful, loving, caring family of five people and destroys them. For whatever gain, I have no idea except maybe the money they get, and that's all there was is money to them, and they have to they have to do on that. But I am just, I'm trying my best, Vincent, and my wife is, but my question is, is that what is your gut feeling is going to happen December with a little boy, you know, who wants to be home with Christmas with his loving family. I think the little boy will be coming home for Christmas. That's my opinion. Okay, Vincent. I I believe in you, and I want all the listeners to believe in you, because you are like Obor Juan Kenobi. And uh, you are hard sometimes on this up and deal roller coaster out there with the people that um, that have some unfortunate mistakes in life, or what do they do? But I just look back and I say, my goodness gracious, why am I being punished because I lost my job? Why? And that's the thing is, I go back to there and I just look at that from day one, and it just it just behooves me. And you and you with the system, you try to give them everything. You tell them the truth. You, you show them everything. And then they turn around and they just, and our families, not only our family has been destroyed, my wife's family has been destroyed because they've all taken positions inside that my wife has no family. And uh, she and I just, you know, it's like we keep diligently going to these ridiculous monitoring, these ridiculous court hearings for no reason whatsoever. But, you know, Vincent, thank you, and, and, and thank you, all your listeners. And God bless everybody. Let's get our families back together. Time to be thankful. Thanksgiving is a thankful time. All right. Thank you very much.
for your call and sharing that story with us. All right, we're going to take one last call. We have a few minutes left in the show. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Is that me? Good morning. Oh, hi. Okay, I... Okay, I called earlier and I I wanted to um I didn't get enough time to um thank you for helping me and my family out. Um and I think I mean I have so much like intricate details of my case where I don't even really know where to start talking, but I definitely didn't get a chance to thank you for um this all the help that you've given you and your team has given my family. And that um really appreciate all your work and that um people should actually I mean, listen to you, take an account like and just let you take care of handle the cases as opposed to but it is such a sensitive like situation where I can understand like it's hard to get people to families to understand that you you know what I mean? Just because it's just so chaotic and listening to these stories that I'm on your radio show just puts me in tears because it is, it does seem really unjust and everything. And I understand, um, I just am calling to thank you for your help and everything. Well, I appreciate that, ma'am. I want to ask you one quick question because we have a couple minutes left. Do you wish that you had followed my advice earlier in the case? Well, my problem was I had a a lawyer before you and he kind of screwed up everything for me. So that's where it set me back. And it set me back with the LAPD too. So, and I did discuss with you like the, just the everything. I mean, it is a really sensitive situation and you always think that you can fix it yourself but you're up against like monsters so it's like no yes I I wish I would have taken on you as you and your firm to begin with and I wouldn't have I would probably be in a way better place had I not had that first lawyer and I would have just listened to you the whole time (laughs) but yes of course well thank you very much well thank you very much for your call I appreciate it okay Talk to you later. <laughs> uh huh. Bye bye. Okay. Okay. Bye. That wraps up the show. That wraps up our show today. Um, we're going to be on next week on Saturday, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Your questions. If you need to get a hold of me, you can reach me at 888 888 That's 888-888-6582. And you can also visit my website uh, regarding Child Protective Services. It's www.fightchildprotectiveservices.com. You can go there. You can find um, a lot of videos, some training videos on what to do and what to expect in the juvenile dependency court system. And also you can download a book that I wrote just for parents and relatives explaining this juvenile dependency process. One of the things I want to stress before we go is please register, please register to vote and exercise your vote. Organizing as groups to block, to vote in judges and to vote for changes in the law. So thank you very much and have a good day.